I want to just give a brief introduction to our speaker this evening. Darren Greenfield has been an integral part of AdAgra from its very beginning, and I could say um, even from before its beginning. So he has a real heart and a real passion for agriculture, but he's a man of many talents and many skills. He um, had a background in engineering and is very practical. He can make tools from scrap metal and um, very practical, hands-on kind of a person. But he was also a pastor in the Michigan Conference for seven years. And he currently is, is kind of the pastor of a prison church that he's very involved in out in California. So the Lord is using him in many ways. And um, I know you're going to be blessed by what he has to share tonight. Currently, Darren is running Weimar Farms in Weimar, California. So he's got a passion and a heart for agriculture. And I know that you will be blessed as he shares what the Lord has put on his heart tonight. Hello. Okay, we're on. About eight years ago, I had the most difficult phone call in my entire life. It was the most heart-wrenching phone call. My 91-year-old grandmother was dying of cancer. I had booked a flight to go home to, to be there. She had asked me a number of years ago, she said, will you please speak at my funeral? And I promised her I would. So as I talked to her, she didn't have much energy. I could only speak for about two minutes for the last time I heard her voice. She was a wonderful lady, and she loved gardening. She had the most beautiful garden on the whole street. She cared about people, and she was continually living her life to, to bless other people. So I was on the phone with her. I never had assurance that she was right with Jesus. So I had to ask her the question, So as I asked her the question, she struggled a bit, and she said, it was almost like there was a sigh, and she said, yes, Darren, it is, it's, it's okay with me and Jesus. Well, she got off the phone, I think I caught a plane the next day, she was still alive when I arrived there. But in a few hours, she died. But my sister, who's blind, who, was, who absolutely adored my grandmother, was there at her side when I had called her. Prior to that, finding out that she had cancer and that she had a month to live, was a real difficult struggle for her. She didn't accept it, and she was very restless. She wasn't surrendered, and she was very unhappy about it, and I'm sure she was upset with God about it. And so, 
as she got off the phone, my sister told me, she said, when she hung up the phone, she started praying, and she was praying out loud. She started confessing some sin. She was surrendering her life to Jesus, and then after she did, there was a joy that came into her heart. And she just started singing. And it was within two days that she was dead. And I was able to get up and speak at her funeral with the, the blessed hope that I will see her in, in, in heaven. But tonight, I shared that experience with you, even though it's very hard. Because as I speak tonight, I realize I'm standing between the living and the dead. It may be you, it may be somebody else in your life, or somebody that's within your influence. And the message tonight may make the difference between you or them being in the kingdom of God. We live in very, very serious times. Jesus is coming soon, and the signs all around us are screaming at us. Thank you. I didn't come prepared. And Jesus is coming soon, and now, if ever there was a time to be serious about our walk with Jesus, it is now. If ever there was a time to fully follow him, it is now. We can't go on playing games. We can't try to cater to our own likes and dislikes, to our own pride, and try to maintain it. We have to humble ourselves. And as the work of the righteousness by faith message impacts our heart, it is to lay the glory of man in the dust so that we will fully follow Jesus. And then, and only then, will the work be cut short in righteousness. Then Jesus can use his people to finish the work. The 144,000 follow the Lamb wherever he goes, fully following him in whatever he asks. I struggled to share this message tonight because Caleb and Joshua were not popular. Caleb and Joshua could have lost their lives because the rest of the children of Israel did not agree with what they were saying they should do and were ready to stone them. And it was only because of the intervention of God. And so as I share tonight what the Lord put on my heart to share, I do so in humility, not pointing the finger at anybody who it may prick the heart of, but with the sincere desire that as we fully surrender to Jesus to follow him, that there will be souls saved in the kingdom as a result. I have to ask the question tonight like I did with my grandmother. How many of you tonight are right with Jesus? How many of you tonight are fully surrendered to Jesus? Can I see a show of hands? Is your life fully given to Jesus? Praise God, I see the majority of hands. And there are some hands that didn't go up. But you know, I am grateful for those hands that did not go up because I was one of those individuals that didn't put my hand up or stand up in an appeal 
when I was in the world very lost, very, very lost. It was a very simple appeal and a very simple message, not one that stirred the hearts. But as I sat there and didn't raise and, and respond to the appeal, the Holy Spirit started speaking to me, and I realized that I had to make a decision. The appeal was simple. It was, Do you, don't you want to work with Jesus and gather for the harvest and, and um, not be scattering people abroad, but gathering with Jesus? It was very, very simple. And everybody stood up except for me, and I stayed there sitting down because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I'd been raised in the church, and as I was raised in the church, I remember seeing one of our, our Sabbath school youth leaders at the time who was there, supposed to be leading us spiritually, who was going to nightclubs, living a double life. And there were many other things. I'm not wanting to share those things. But I determined when my friends and I, even though we'd had an Adventist education, and we decided at the age of 16 to leave the church, I decided in my heart, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. That's why we're leaving, because we don't want to be a hypocrite. And so, at that time, when I stayed sitting down, the Holy Spirit started impressing my heart so powerfully and so real. Just a simple, with a simple thought, don't you want to be saved? Don't you want to be in the kingdom with your family? And as I sat there thinking about that, not realizing what was going on, I thought, yes, I do, but not now. I'm not ready now. And in my heart, I was wanting to put it off at any decision. I was young. Everything was going well. I was making money. I was having fun. I had goals, things that I wanted to do. And yet, I was lost. And I knew it. But I thought I had time. I thought I was almost immortal, like a lot of young people do. And so, as the Holy Spirit kept on the appeal, I could feel like this magnetic pull. And it was almost like an audible voice saying to me, why don't you stand up? Why don't you make the decision? And then I heard an, another voice, another impression that said, don't do it now. You've got plenty of time. Look at all the things in your life you'll have to change. Look at everything that's going to change in your life. Don't do it now. And then the Holy Spirit came in with the last clincher that settled it for me, and that was, how do you know you'll ever have another chance? How do you know this is not your last chance? And I thought about that, and I thought about the time when I was 18 years old, and I was skiing in New Zealand, and I went over a 120-foot cliff and should have been dead, and my life was spared. I thought about the times that I was crazy driving my V8 fast cars and and going at high speeds and losing control and, and should have been killed, and I wasn't. I remember the times, and I could name others, but I don't want to get into it, that I could have been dead, and I knew that at any time I could die. And if I didn't make a decision then, I could walk out of that church, and that would be it. I'd be lost for eternity. So I thought okay, if this is my last chance, I must make it now. 
I'd be a fool not to. And then I tried to get up off my seat. I couldn't get up. I was stuck. I was glued to the seat. I couldn't move. I tried harder and I couldn't get up. I was stuck. And I wanted to get up at that point in time and I was trying. And as I tried and I couldn't, I just started to break and weep and I was crying. And the Holy Spirit was so breaking my heart at that point. And then I just, it was with every ounce of energy that I could, could muster, I'm going to get up. It was when I fully decided that this was what I was going to do. All of a sudden, I broke free from that seat and I was able to stand up. And as I stood there, I was just weeping. I wanted to crawl under the, under the chair because I was so ashamed to be crying as an adult. But that was the start of a, of a different path in my life. I'll give you a brief background of some of my goals when I was lost. I'd grown up on a farm, sheep and cattle and kiwi fruit. I loved the life. I enjoyed it. It was, it was amazing. I felt alive to be on the farm. It's all, the, all that I ever wanted to do. And I told my parents, when I leave school, I want to be a farmer. And they said, well, farming doesn't make much money. You should uh, go and get a trade and get a trade, and when you have a trade, then you can go back, you can farm, and if it doesn't work out, you'll have something that will support you. Well, little did I know that part of true education is to get a trade, and God had his hand over me at that point in time that I went and worked at the Sanitarium Health Food Company in New Zealand. Um, I was able to serve an apprenticeship as a fitter turner and machinist, working with food production, but I was as lost as anything going in the city there and as lost as many of the young people in our church then and today. So my goal as I worked there in the city was that I would save money, I would make as much money as I could and when I had enough I would then buy my farm and then I'd move to the country and then I'd have a good life. Prior to the time when I was in church and that experience happened that I told you about. I was busy working. I worked day and night. I was a, a workaholic. And from a little child, I must have heard a verse when I was in church or Sabbath school or somewhere, and it started to play in my mind. That seed, that word, the word of God was there. And it started to make me think and it was this verse, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I couldn't get it out of my mind. It kept playing over and over and over. And it was in that context that then I went to church that Sabbath with my parents. Hadn't been in many years, but I went to please them, not because I wanted to go. And that's where my life changed forever. Well, long story short, I ended up going to Weimar College. I thought, you know what, as much as I love farming and I'd love to do, live that life, 
I'm going to put that on hold until I get to heaven. The Lord has other plans for me. I didn't know what they were. Little did I know that he had other things in mind and other training for me to go through. And there I am today, farming. And I love it. I think I have one of the best jobs in the world. Well, I better stop telling you my story and get into the message tonight. The third angel's thumb. That's what I called the message tonight. The Lord impressed that upon me. And I think most of you who have gardened kind of get the, what this is about. This really impacted me, this uh, particular passage. It says that in a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning message for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God. They have been given a work of the most solemn import. The proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages, there is no other work of so great importance they are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. When I first started farming, when Dr. Nedley asked me to, to, to do this about six years ago, I was so gung-ho and so excited to be farming and to be a ministry I put all my time and energy, I was working crazy hours to make this farm a success so it could be what God wanted it to be. But about a year into it, I felt like I was dying spiritually. Something was wrong. And as I was praying with God about it, He impressed me, you need to be doing ministry work, reaching souls for the kingdom. And so... It was then providentially that he opened the door for me to start in prison ministry where I go most Sabbaths and it has revived me again. And it has brought back that first love experience that I had when I surrendered my life to Jesus. And I believe that that is the secret when you're born again to keep that first love on fire is to be reaching out and seeing others experience the same thing. When you see it happening in them, it just ignites that flame in your heart and you want to reach more. And so as we consider this at, at our agricultural conference, it is so easy for us to be thinking that we are doing the will of God, and we are when we're in our gardens and when we're doing agriculture, but it's not all there is. Agriculture has been given to us as a powerful tool, a powerful means of reaching souls for the kingdom of God. And so with that absorbing our attention, we go about our farming and our gardening and it becomes such an incredible joy. No longer is the hardship of, of sweat and toil what dominates your mind in those hot days of summer, but it's the joy of when you get to witness for Jesus that keeps you going on. I've been to China four times. I don't read Chinese. I'm learning a few characters, but this was shared with me and I want to share it with you because it's very true. In Chinese, the word that is used, the characters that are used to, to, um, for the word happiness or blessing, it's the same thing, are these ones you can see on the screen. The first character is a combination of soil 
and lamb. That's what the two, two hieroglyphic syllables that merged into this particular character actually symbolize. Soil and lamb. Then, the next part means God, one mouth, which actually means man, that's, the, that's what uh, man means in Chinese, one mouth, and a farm or garden or literally a field, which they believe, which they understand to be a farm. So you combine these together, you have soil, lamb, God, one mouth, man, and a farm or a garden. And so my translation of this is happiness is working with Jesus, the Lamb of God, in the soil as a part of his plan to restore what was lost through the fall. And I could share a quote with you from Ellen White where she says that it became part of God's plan for our restoration from the fall when he cursed the ground and then you know it became hard through sweat and toil and so forth that it was part of his plan to restore what was lost. Man is blessed because God gave him the work of gardening. Do you consider yourselves blessed? It is a tremendous blessing to work with the Lord in the garden. It's a work of cooperation. It's man and God working together. This psalm that I'm going to share now is my favorite psalm this year. It's, uh, you know, every year there's something different that jumps out at you and Psalm 67, verses 5 through 7 says, Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God our God shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall bear him. Now, a surface reading of that verse will have you thinking, that's a nice verse, very nice. But if we dig deep into this verse, I believe that it is the experience that God wants us to have as Seventh-day Adventists, and as a result of the experience that we have with Him in the garden, a joyful experience, fully surrendered to Him, fully doing His will, that not only will He bless our gardens, our farms with increase, but others will learn to fear God as well as they see us joyfully serving the Lord in that capacity. You see, to praise God in this context is not just coming together in corporate worship and praising Him and singing songs like we do every week. The earth does not yield its increase on its own. The earth has to be worked by man. There's a work of cooperation. Man doing his part, God doing his part, an illustration of what happens in the spiritual world and so we work together with God and then we understand how he works in the hearts of man and how we cooperate with him. And the same results that we see in the garden and in the farm will happen in the spiritual realm in our lives and in the lives of others. As a result, all the ends of the earth shall fear him. The theme for this conference is fully or following fully based on Numbers 14, 24. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit within him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. That doesn't mean his biological seed. That means, like Abraham's seed, if we are 
Christ. We are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Isn't that true? This means that if we are like Caleb and we will fully follow the Lord Jesus, if we will fully surrender to him, then we also have the assurance that we will possess the earth made new. We are encouraged in the scripture to fully follow the Lord Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, it says, We also do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. We could change that to say fully following him. Wouldn't that be the same thing? Caleb's have been greatly needed. I'm going to share a couple of quotes here about Caleb's. Caleb's have been greatly needed. In different periods of the history of our work, today we need men of thorough fidelity, men who follow the Lord fully, men who are not disposed to be silent when they ought to speak, who are as true as steel to principle, who do not seek to make a, a pretentious show, but who walk humbly with God, patient, kind, obliging, courteous men who understand that the, society of, that the science of prayer is to exercise faith and show works that will tell to the glory of God and the good of His people. To follow Jesus requires wholehearted conversion at the start and a repetition of this conversion every day. Are we fully converted to Jesus Christ? Are we being fully converted on a daily basis? I can say as I look back in my experience, I gave my heart fully to Jesus, but there were times where I wasn't converted on a daily basis, and I did my own thing, and I must have grieved the Spirit of God. Praise God for the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And I'm grateful for the theme of this conference because, again, it reminds me to be fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus and fully willing to do His will. And we need to have this reminder daily that we can be fully converted daily. Men may forget for a time that God has given light in reference to His work. God has designed that the testimonies shall hold their place in the work as a beacon of light from heaven. Satan has made decided efforts to make it of none effect, to make of none effect the counsels of God through the testimonies. They have been highly, uh, lightly esteemed. I wish they were highly esteemed. They have been lightly esteemed, disregarded, ignored, but they will still live to testify the right way to reprove and correct those pursuing a wrong course of action, God will make himself known in his work when he works by his Holy Spirit through faithful men like who? Caleb. Do we have Caleb's here today? How many of you want to have a heart like Caleb? You can be a woman and have a heart like Caleb. The careless, and as a result of having a heart like Caleb, the careless and unbelieving are brought to repentance. Suspicion and alienation are gone. The faith is established. 
uh, yeah, the faith is established. Faith and and love bind heart to heart. I'm resisting putting on glasses. I hate wearing them. <laughs> but that will be the result of Caleb's that are courageous and willing to do whatever the Lord says. And when they know the will of God, when no matter how unpopular or how unreasonable or how much mocking they may receive, they're willing to do the will of God. And as people submit, you see it takes one to stand, and then others, when they are impressed by the Holy Spirit, are willing to take their stand also, and to follow fully, and then the ripples can go out. This quote gives me great hope, because a beacon of light from heaven is shining upon us. It has not been long since these three compilations that you see on the screen were released, all within a very short period of time of each other. I believe that at least one or two of these will be available at the conference, and if you don't have a copy, please get one. I hope they brought a lot of copies. Councils on Agriculture, put together by John Dysinger, is one of the most comprehensive of all these, these books. Uh, he spent much time searching in the um, unpublished writings. This was before they released the unpublished writings. Now you can get online and look at it for yourself. But this is a wonderful resource for us to see the amazing things that God wants to do through agriculture in our lives and in the lives of our young people and in the lives of in the church and through our sanitariums and our, our uh, lifestyle centers and all of our me medical missionary workers. The Green Print is an amazing book too. This book is a compilation of letters that Ellen White wrote arranged in chronological order from when she first wrote about agriculture to the last time that she wrote about agriculture. It's not a comprehensive uh, compilation, but it is a very good book to read to get the context of a lot of the statements. So I would encourage you that you get both of them. The Hope in the Soil was the first book to come out and it's an excellent book too, and um, I highly recommend getting that as well. I have all three, and I'm very, very grateful because these books, this message about agriculture is a beacon of light from heaven. And so as, we, as I thought about the message for today and named it The Third Angel's Thumb, as I share a lot with you today. And I'm going to share a lot of, lot of uh, data because I want you to read it and see it for yourself. I don't want you to just take what I say as my opinion because my opinion doesn't count for anything. But here we are told the medical missionary work is the right hand and arm to the third angel's message. And on the right hand is a thumb. And if you've been working with green plants, especially tomatoes, you're going to get more than a green thumb, you're going to get green fingers. And I thought about, you know, the thumb is a very useful part of our body. I can't imagine not having a thumb. It would limit me so much not to have a thumb. I know people that have lost fingers, maybe you do too, but in New Zealand I think there's more people that have lost fingers than I know over here. My father, who's a dentist, but he loves farming. Not too many years ago now, 
was trying to move a cow and get a cow into a, a trailer and it wasn't cooperating so he lassoed it and he went to tie it off and just as he was tying the knot the cow lurched away and his finger was in the center of the knot that he was tying and off goes the end of his finger. He's a pretty tough man and uh, when, you, when he talks about the experience he talks about how enjoyable the helicopter ride was for the hour to the hospital where they tried to sew on the finger that had come off but they didn't succeed, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't viable and so he had lost his finger somewhere about the knuckle and that was very difficult for him as a dentist who does intricate work in a mouth and I, I think about you know just losing the little tip of your finger but what about your thumb? Trying to hang on to things, I mean without a thumb you try to hang on with four fingers you can't hang on to something as well as you can if you have your thumb in one finger. So the thumb is very useful and I believe that the thumb, the right hand of the, the health message that is the, the right hand and the right arm of the third angel's message is the agricultural component. Maui Pomari was a young man in high school in New Zealand in the 1880s, no 1890s when he heard the Advent message. The Advent message was very young in New Zealand at that time, a few years since uh, Stephen Haskell had arrived and the missionary work began. But the work was taking off and him and two other Maori boys accepted the message. One of them went off to the school that had been started in Melbourne, Australia. This was prior to Avondale College. But Maui Pomari was a very talented young man and he learned of the health message and about medical missionary work and so he wanted to become a medical missionary. There was a lady whose name was Dr. Caro or as Sister White would call her, Sister Caro in New Zealand. She, she was a dentist who uh, was very supportive, who was an Adventist that um, put her heart and soul into to God's work and uh, so she sponsored Maui Pomari to go to Battle Creek College so that he could learn to become a medical missionary and return and do a great work in New Zealand. And I'm going to share some quotes with you and just go through them quickly for the sake of time. Alan White writing to Dr. Kellogg says this, we expect the young man Maui Pomari, a Maori, will leave on the August boat for America. His going to Battle Creek means much and please do not forget this. It means that the impressions made will be carried to a whole nation. Give instruction that he shall have every kindness shown him, that he shall have a good bed and room and the best and most spiritual society. The sons of the chiefs and higher class of Maori have conveniences equal to the, to the Americans. I am told he is a half-caste, pleasant in appearance and intelligent. So she was appealing that this man would have a special spiritual experience while he attended Battle Creek College. We get another glimpse of this young man in another letter that Ellen White was writing to someone else. I, I'm not sure who she was writing. I haven't researched that out. 
But she says, Maori Po Maori, he is a half-caste of rather high rank and is a great-grandson of Po Maori that took the Chatham Islands. He belongs to the Chatham Islands. And if any of you were at ASI this last year, you may remember that Pastor John Bradshaw shared a story about the Moriori's on the Chatham Islands and how the Maori came over there, conquered them, and they were like Desmond Doss. They didn't want to take a life, and so they didn't fight, and they were slaughtered, and, and they're extinct today. Maui Paumari was the great-grandson of that chief that uh, took those islands. Maui Pamari has always worked from early boyhood to elevate his people, and being of rank, he was granted the privilege of going to school. He has improved his opportunities and has thought much of them at Te Atau College. He designs to become a medical missionary that he may be the better able to elevate his people. He is anxious to spend some of his time translating tracts into the Maori language. We rejoice that the truth is being carried to the Maori race. And he did translate some tracts into Maori about the Sabbath and, and maybe a couple of other things that were printed and used in the early work of the Adventist church in New Zealand. He goes off to um, Battle Creek, and Alan White actually writes to someone else and shares a little bit about the experience that he has. And this is so small, I will have to put on my glasses. She says, these Maoris make very much of their pleasure exercises, games at football and the like. We call it rugby, if you've heard of rugby. But Pomari, seeking the Lord, had experiences such as God gives. He related to Sister Caro his experience, which was decided and firm. He said he had to give up his games of football or he could not rest in the peace of God and could not feel that he could glorify God in that exercise. Now, said Sister Caro, when he goes to Battle Creek and finds them engaged in all these sports, I am afraid of the influence upon him. He will become acquainted with some who are engaged in these games. Well, well, she said, things are rather mixed up. I must give Pomari to the Lord, but I can fear that the enemy will come in to make the truth now to him so solemn, so sacred, through the influence of others who have not had so deep an experience under trying circumstances to be brought down upon a level with common things. Sister Caro has, at her own expense, sent several of the New Zealand boys and is hiring money. That means she borrowed money to send them there. You can understand how she is exercised. She says, my boys write to me inquiring if it is not best to go to Ann Arbor and obtain their education, hire a room and be by themselves, etc. And then we find just maybe a month or two later, she writes a letter to Battle Creek College. And this is what she says. I was speaking to teachers in messages of reproof. All the teachers need exercise, a change of employment. God has pointed out what this should be, useful, practical work. But you have turned away from God's plan to follow human inventions, and that to the detriment of the spiritual. Not a jot or tittle 
of the after influence of an education in that line will fit you to meet the severe conflicts in the last days. What kind of education are our teachers and students receiving? Has God devised and planned this kind of exercise for you? Or is it brought in by human inventions and human imaginations? How is the mind prepared for contemplation and meditation and serious thoughts and the earnest contrite prayer coming from hearts subdued by the Holy Spirit of God? The Lord opened before me the necessity of establishing a school at Battle Creek that should not pattern after any school in existence. We were to have teachers who would keep their souls in the love and fear of God. Teachers were to educate in spiritual things to prepare a people to stand in the trying crisis before us. But there has been a departure from God's plan in many ways. The amusements are doing more to counteract the working of the Holy Spirit than anything else. And the Lord is grieved. What is grief? I had a hard time getting up here and telling you the story of my grandmother because to tell it, it was like I was living it again. It was fresh, and I felt the grief again of losing my grandmother. We grieve when there's a loss. God sees prophetically into the future. He sees the results of the decisions and actions we take today, sees the end results, and he grieves. It doesn't say he's angry. It says he's grieved because he sees that someone is going to be lost for eternity, or maybe many are going to be lost for eternity, and it grieves his heart because Jesus gave his life on Calvary for every person in this world. He died as if every person was the only one that he died for. His love goes out to everybody, and he's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want to see anybody lost. And so when he sees people follow their own plans and their own devising and do not follow his plan that where, where there is true success and saving souls, he's grieved because of the loss that he knows that is going to result. And, he, and it's painful to him to see that his sacrifice for that person or persons was for nothing. Battle Creek Sanitarium, here's a picture of the one that burned down. It was big. It was elaborate. It had the best of the latest technology. It was on the cutting edge. It was popular. And we could go on and talk about the accomplishments of this sanitarium. It was at this sanitarium where Maui Pomari went and was trained in his medical training to become a doctor. But when he went to Battle Creek College, and he worked at the Battle Creek Sanitarium as part of his training. Agriculture was not part of that training. It had been neglected, it had been put aside, and it wasn't until Caleb and Joshua, Sutherland and McGann, came to Battle Creek, plowed up the football field, and then later moved to Berrien Springs, and the thing was changed. It was too late for Maori Pomari, and he did not see the powerful results of agriculture in education and healing. Unfortunately for Maui, he lost his way. When he returned to New Zealand, the very thing that Sister Caro dreaded happened, and he, when he arrived back in New Zealand as a medical doctor, he no longer 
was a Seventh-day Adventist. Ellen White says in this 8 Testimony 2.27, The Lord permitted fire to consume the principal buildings of the Review and Herald and the Sanitarium, and thus removed the greatest objection urged against moving out of Battle Creek. It was his design that instead of rebuilding the one large sanitarium, our people should make plants in several places. These smaller sanitariums should have been established where land could be secured for agricultural purposes. It is God's plan that agriculture shall be connected with the work of our sanitariums and schools. Our youth need the education to be gained from this line of work. It is well, and more than well, it is essential that efforts be made to carry out the Lord's plan in this respect. Wow. We don't have a clue how powerful agriculture is for the healing of human beings that are sick, diseased, and in a poor state of health. We get a glimpse of the power of this because Alan White was very active in promoting agriculture for education and for sanitariums, and I'll share some of these things with you. She tells the story about a sister, Heisman. She says she used to be an invalid, sick and suffering. At that time, they had no home of their own. They purchased the place on which they are now living. The ground is very good, but the house is rather old. Perhaps some of you farmers can relate to that. While Brother Heisman worked at his trade, Sister Heisman began to cultivate the garden connected with the house. She says that at first she was able to work only for a short time, and then her back would ache so severely that she would be obliged to go into the house and lie down. But gradually she gained in health and strength, and now she can work for a long time without getting tired. She does not uh, she does most of the gardening, and this morning she took pride in showing us her growing crops. Her hands are hard, but her health is greatly improved. She says that in the past she has spent much time in sanitariums, but that all the treatment she received did not do her so much good as her work in the open air has done her. The physical exercise was just what she needed. The benefit that Sister Heisman's work in the garden has been, to her, uh, has been to her is a lesson for us all. It shows what such work would accomplish for the patients in our sanitarium. Our sanitariums. It would work a cure without drugs. Oh, how many invalids might be healed if the Lord's methods were followed. Weak and trembling, Sister Heisman began her work my screen changed, I'm sorry. Weak and, here, I found my place. Weak and trembling, Sister Heisman began her work, and now she is strong and well. Her outdoor exercise has surrounded her with an atmosphere of serenity. She has been indeed greatly blessed. She is full of peace and happiness. Her weakness is gone. The satisfaction of seeing what she could do has strengthened her purpose to do more. Powerful. You see, God's plan for lifestyle centers includes agricultural therapy. Ellen White had a vision. God showed her what our lifestyle or our sanitariums as they were in the day, how agriculture would be used not only to reach 
not only to heal, but to reach souls for the kingdom of God. Now listen to this. This is really amazing. In the night season, I was given a view of a sanitarium in the country. This was not a real sanitarium. It was what they should be like. It was an example. The institution was not large, but it was complete. It was surrounded by beautiful trees and shrubbery, beyond which were orchards and groves. Connected with the place were gardens in which the lady patients, when they chose, could cultivate flowers of every description, each patient selecting a special plot for which to care. Outdoor exercise in these gardens was prescribed as a part of the regular treatment. Can you imagine going to... Are we off the screen? Okay. Okay. Can you imagine going to the doctor and being prescribed gardening to be healed? Amazing. She goes on and she says, Scene after scene passed before me. In one scene, a number of suffering patients had just come to one of our country sanitariums. In another, I saw the same company, but oh, how transformed their appearance. Disease had gone, the skin was clear, the countenance joyful, body and mind seemed animated with new life. I was also instructed that those who have been sick, that as those who have been sick are restored to health in our country sanitariums and returned to their homes, they will be living object lessons and many others will be favorably impressed by the transformation that has taken place in them. Many of the sick and suffering will turn from the cities to the country, refusing to conform to the habits, customs, and fashions of city life. They will seek to regain health in some one of our country sanitariums. God will work wonders for us if we will, in faith, cooperate with Him. Let us then pursue a sensible course that our efforts may be blessed of heaven and crowned with success. You cannot improve on God's methods. She says in one place, tell those who are sick that if the hosts of those who are dyspeptics, that's internal problems, and consumptives, tuberculosis, could turn farmers, they might overcome disease, dispense with drugs and doctors, and recover health. Powerful. I know for myself, I was cured of an incurable disease that I had since I was 18 years old, seborrheic dermatitis. It wasn't life-threatening. It was ugly. It would break out as a rash on my face. I had to use a prescription shampoo that was expensive, and I still didn't control it. When I started to farm, and there's more to the story about using ocean minerals. If you go to Lynn Hoag's uh, seminar, you'll learn about ocean minerals. But I was healed of the skin disease that the doctors said was not curable. Tuberculosis, one of the diseases she said could be cured through farming, also known as consumption, was the cause of more deaths in the industrialized countries than any other disease during the 19th and early 20th centuries. By late, by the late 19th century, 70 to 90% of the urban populations, that's the city populations of Europe and North America, were infected with the TB bacillus. 
and about 80% of those individuals who developed active tuberculosis died of it. This was primarily a disease of the cities. Serious one. And in the late 19th century, tuberculosis was a major killer of Europeans, accounting for 10% of all deaths. Maori, as Maui Pomari was, were even more vulnerable by the 1930s, and tuck that date away in the back of your mind, by the 1930s, Maori tuberculosis death rates were probably 10 times higher for, than for non-Maori. It was a very serious threat to the Maori nation. Ellen White says this about sanitariums that are erected for consumptive patients should be placed some distance out of the city where there is plenty of open space, a clear stream, and land which can be cultivated. Then the patients can be drawn out into the fresh air while those who are strong can cultivate... I just realized, is it up there? Yeah, there it is. Can be cultivated, then the patients can be drawn out into the fresh air. So a clear stream and land which can be cultivated. While those who are strong enough can cultivate the soil. The institutions built for consumptives which has not these accompaniments cannot benefit the patients. It had to be there. Now, if you read on in this quote, she says that she does not recommend at that time that we have sanitarium solely for consumptives, and she gives the reason why for that. Nonetheless, it is still true that through this method, these things prescribed that the consumptives could be healed. Now, Maui Pomari, when he went to Battle Creek Sanitarium, did not see this illustrated. He did not learn about the power of agriculture for healing. He missed out because our brothers and sisters of that time were not fully following the Lord. Now, something interesting about how this may have worked, the cure for tuberculosis, um, we are, modern science is discovering something. Mycobacterium vaccae is a non-pathogenic species of the Mycobacteriaceae family of bacteria that lives naturally in the soil. Research areas being pursued with regard to killed Mycobacterium vaccae vaccine include immunotherapy for allergic asthma, cancer, depression, leprosy, psoriasis, dermatitis, eczema, and tuberculosis. Very fascinating. I could say more about that uh, particular bacteria, but if you listen to the presentation that uh, was given at our first conference, it's online at Audioverse or on our at uh, AdventistAg.com website, you can listen to that first presentation on the opening night and learn about it. This particular company, Anhui Longkong Biological Pharmacy Co. Limited, Longkong, produces a mycobacterium vaccae vaccine with the trade name vaccae for the treatment of tuberculosis. Immunita Incorporated has reported two successful clinical trials with its oral formulations of MVK in treating all forms of tuberculosis, including, get this, including drug-resistant TB, MDR, T, 
TB. Maui Pomari went back to New Zealand. He became the first Minister of Health in New Zealand. He worked actively and energetically doing a great humanitarian work for his people, the Maori. He is considered to be the savior of the Maori people because there were other diseases and health issues that they were catching from the European people and they were down to a mere 40-some thousand and they were fully expected by the Europeans to go into extinction. But because of his work, he was able to save the race. However, he was not able to help those who had tuberculosis. In 1930, he died himself from tuberculosis. He could have been healed of tuberculosis if he'd gone and had a training in a sanitarium that fully followed the Lord Jesus and his instruction and had agriculture or gardening therapy prescribed to patients. Perhaps he would have seen, I'd like to think that he would have seen some TB patients cured by that method. He did a great humanitarian work. He was also knighted for his work and became known as Sir Maui Pomari, but he did not reach his nation for Christ. He did not share the three angels' messages with them. And I think, my hunch is, that because the Battle Creek Sanitarium was not fully following God and His counsel, and the sanitarium was not fully following, that that had a large part to play in him losing. And you saw the quote, he had a genuine conversion experience, but the influence led him away from God. The good news is that in his dying days, or perhaps a year or so before he actually died, he remembered the Adventist sanitariums, and he traveled to California, went to St. Helena Sanitarium. I have not been able to find any evidence that they were prescribing gardening or agricultural activity to their patients, and a year or so later he died from tuberculosis. What could have been? What could have been? Our beloved General Conference President at the recent annual council said this, Let's remember to fully use God's instruction for His education model found in the Holy Word of God and the spirit of prophecy. Can you say amen to that? This clicker is not working very well. Uh, he had this also to say at the same annual council. He said, have we become so strong in our academic pursuits that we have failed to listen to the master teacher's model for education? Have we at times felt so competent in our own right as to outline the future of Seventh-day Adventist education without consulting the Bible and the spirit of prophecy? Have we taken the censor in our own hands, feeling that we have arrived and are more capable of determining the educational direction of our institutions than a simple, thus saith the Lord, from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy? Have we allowed outside non-biblical intellectual influences to shape our vision of the future rather than looking to the Lord, the master educator, and saying, be thou my vision? 
at the lead conference. I'm not sure which is. At the lead conference that I believe was within the same week of the annual council, to the educational leaders from around the world that gathered for this conference, he's had more to say, and he gave the book Education to every one of those leaders, and they made a commitment that they were going to read this book and to follow the Lord's counsel in this book. And um, he had this to say at that lead conference. He said, if the devil can neutralize the model and change it to dynamics of his own liking, he will have hijacked the very system God initiated to be a great blessing to his own Advent movement. God's plans are beyond our imagination and are meant for God's last day remnant church. Amen. Listen, listen to what Alan White said. And I think he, he's a man of the spirit of prophecy. He reads deeply, and I think what he was saying was a reflection of what he read. In the spirit of prophecy, we, we read this. In every school, Satan will try to make himself the guide of the teachers who are instructing the students. It is he who would introduce the idea that selfish amusements are a necessity. It is he who would lead students sent to our schools for the purpose of receiving an education and training for the work of evangelists, ministers, and missionaries to believe that amusements are essential to keep them in physical health when the Lord has presented to them that the better way is for them to embrace manual labor in their education and thus let useful employment take the place of selfish amusements. I'm not sure what the time is because when my screens uh, changed, the time went off. Oh, okay, I can see it at the back. I know I don't have long to go. So I'm going to have to race through. I'm leaving more than half of my presentation because I lost track of time. But um, if you go, I'll give you the quote and you can go there and read it for yourself. It's Councils to Parents, Teachers and Students, page uh, 348. And there's a section there. Um, she says, recent experiences in our colleges and sanitariums lead me to present again instructions that the Lord gave me for the teachers and students in our school at Kurenbong in Australia. And I'll summarize it for you because I have to start wrapping up. On the first year anniversary of the Avondale College, they had a fun day. And on that fun day, they started playing sports, games. And the students were having a great time and where did they learn about sports? From watching the heroes of their country playing sports and, you know, cheering them on when they win and excitement that goes along with that. And so these students, as they are playing cricket and tennis, that she mentions those two sports particularly, were playing these sports. They were mimicking those heroes that they had seen playing and trying to be like them. And she goes on to say that the sports, that the, that the um, I'm putting it in my words, to, that this attraction to the sports that it was common in that day and is common in our day was a species of idolatry. And she quoted the, the experience of the children of Israel at Mount Sinai when they had been given the law of God and when Moses went up on the mountain, took 40 days before he came back, and they had made a golden calf, and they were worshipping and having a party. I wish I could share more with you. I'm going to have to just race through and see where it's a good place to end. 
we'll wrap it up. Um, let me go to this one here if I can, get this to click through quickly. Um, getting stuck on this one. So CT351, she says at the end of this, what she was shown in vision, she says, turning to the teachers, he, that is Jesus, I believe, was speaking to her, said, you have made a mistake. Oh, yes, he was teaching, talking to the teachers. He said, you have made a mistake, the effects of which will be hard to efface. The Lord God of Israel is not glorified in the school. If at this time the Lord should permit your life to end, many would be lost, eternally separated from God and the righteous. Can you see why the Lord is grieved when his counsel is not followed and a substitute of the world is put in its place? Because he sees what will result. Praise God that Ellen White was at Avondale College at the time. She wasn't there on that. She wasn't attending on that day. But the Lord showed her in the night season what happened. And then she went back, as she did many times, to the staff, explained to them what she was shown in vision, and the staff really did have a heart that wanted to follow God, and they repented, and they changed their plans, and they didn't go back to that for that period of time. And I must share with you, um, I'm going to have to race forward here, to this quote here. It's um, from the General Conference Bulletin, April 14, 1901. I want you to see what the fruit or the results of following the Lord's plan, following fully his plan. In 1901, this was written, this was after Ellen White returned to the U.S. She's, I don't believe it was her that wrote this. I, it may have been. But uh, every term of school which we have held at Avondale has resulted in the conversion of nearly every student in the school. Now, if you read some of the historical data behind Avondale College, it didn't just constitute Seventh-day Adventist kids. There were kids from the community of people who looked and were so impressed by the school that they wanted their kids in there. So these conversions were including non-Adventist kids. Has resulted in the conversion of nearly every student in the school. In some terms, this has been the case without exception, and in others, there have not been more than two or three exceptions. Praise God. Friends, more than anything else that we need is the power of the Holy Spirit to get behind the work that we are doing to save our kids and to reach the world that is lost. Read through the book of Revelation. I'm going through it at the prison. I'm in chapter 16 now. The things that are coming upon this world before it ends are horrifying. People are going to be crying and screaming and, and, and desperately lost and perishing. And we have the duty to reach them with the message that will save them. And the methods that God has given us will help us reach more and have a greater influence and draw people. It's attractive when people see what the Lord will do. We have been given a very powerful, very, very powerful tool in our hands to reach people through the gardening and agricultural activities. Our witnessing to people about our work with Jesus in the garden has a magnetic, attractive 
effect on them. When I was flying to the very first conference that was held in, in uh, near Nashville, Tennessee, I was sitting next to a man, and this man, as I got to know him, was a professor at Vanderbilt University. He was a cardiologist, and he had just come back from England where he had been lecturing, and he was, I guess, a renowned professor. So as I was uh, sitting there and he told me what he did, I thought, wow, how do I reach somebody that's intellectual, and oftentimes the intellectuals don't believe in God, they've been taught evolution and all that rubbish, and um, so I was talking to him, and he was asking me what I did, and I told him about farming and, and what I do there, and, you know, and he was, oh, yeah, that's nice. And um, I was praying silently, Lord, how are you going to lead this conversation? Because I'd like to, to, to get it into spiritual things to see where he's at. And so he, as uh, we were, were flying along there, I thought, okay, I've got to learn from fishing. You've got to throw some bait out to see if he's going to bite at it. So he had told me that he had moved from New England somewhere down to this uh, particular uh, place where he was living. And I said to him, how do you like living in the Bible Belt? And he kind of chuckled and he said, no, nah, it's not as bad as you would think. He said, I've got a secretary who's one of those Christians and uh, she leaves these tracks for me sometimes on my desk. And he said, she's a really nice person. I just, you know, dispose of them. Um, and he said, actually, I, you know, I'm an agnostic. I said, okay, he's an agnostic. There's a, there's a chance here he might believe in God. And then as we continued to talk, he started opening up. He said, you know, I was raised in a Baptist family. And um, when I was going to church as a child, the things that put me off the Bible and off religion was this thing about an eternal burning hell. It just didn't make sense to me. And he said, and also, I just love to dance. You know, whenever I heard music, it just made my foot get going and tapping, and, and uh, I just wanted to dance, and I wasn't allowed to dance. And so he said, he said well, I, um, yeah, it's not for me. So I then started to share with him about, I didn't try to, to argue with him about his thoughts on hell and, and so on, although I did give him my understanding of hell from the scripture. But I said to him, and this is what really made a difference, I said, you know, I am really blessed to spend a lot of time in nature. And as I spend time in nature, I see God at work and I see the beauty of his creation, and I see his love expressed in the things of nature, and as I see that, I'm drawn to him. I like him. I want him in my life. He turned to me, and he said, I like nature too. Oh, wow. Okay. That's nice. So I reached into my bag, and I pulled out a Happiness Digest. I just held it in my hand. I didn't give it to him. And I said, you know, I read this little book here. And I said, it starts out talking about 
how God is revealed in nature and how his love is shown to us through the things of nature. And I said, this is an amazing little book that I read. And, you know, as I, as, as I read that and think about it, it just, it really makes me love God more. And I was holding it in my hand. I hadn't even offered it to him. And he looks at it. And he actually reached over and took it out of my hands. And he started leafing through this book, looking at the chapter titles. And as he was looking at the chapter titles, he comes to one and it says, what to do with doubt? And he reads it out loud, what to do with doubt? He said, I have a lot of doubt. This would be a good book to read. And then he says, can I have this book? And I said to him, yes, you can have it. I have an extra copy. And he said, thank you. He said, you know, my wife was raised a Christian too, and she has said to me occasionally, you know, we should go back to church. And he said, I've always brushed her off, and I haven't been interested. But he said, when I go home and I show her this book, we'll read it together, and she'll be so happy. And he thanked me. I could see he was visibly moved. And as we got off that plane, and I got off onto the, the, you know, the jetway and onto the plane, and I was waiting for my bag to be brought up, he walked past me again, and he patted me on the shoulder, and he said, thank you, thank you, and he walked off. Praise God. We have been given a powerful tool with our experience in nature that draws people. I could tell you other experience, oh, one more experience. There's a young man... No, he's not young anymore. He's old now. He's a missionary from um, Colombia. He came especially to attend this conference. A few years ago, probably five or six years ago, he flew back to help me at Weimar Farm to put up a shed because he has a degree in um, construction ma uh, management and he's very good at construction. So he came to help me put up a shed. And I drove to the airport. I was in my little Toyota Tacoma pickup. I arrived there. I was in my farm clothing with my hat on. And uh, there he comes out. And he looked pretty wild and woolly himself. Long hair and a bit of a beard, unshaven. He hops into the into the truck, and I was just about to drive off. He'd thrown his bag on the back, and just as we're going to drive off, this young lady comes running over and knocks on the window, and he winds down the window, and she said, are you guys going anywhere near Auburn? And I said, yeah, we're going, we're going past Auburn. She says, can I catch a ride? I said, okay, you can catch a ride. She jumps in. And then she tells us, she said, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to this farm in Nevada City where I'm kind of doing kind of an internship kind of thing. And, uh, you know, she looked very new agey like a lot of the modern people that are into the, the uh, modern farming movement. And um, she said, you know, I saw you guys and you look kind of earthy. So I thought I could come over and, and ask you guys for a ride. And so she jumped in, and we drove 
all the way up to Auburn where we dropped her at, a tra at the train station where she could catch a train to where she was going. We talked to her all the way about the Lord and she listened the whole way. And we told her about Jesus and about his commandments and how his commandments were given to protect relationships and just how beautiful they are. And, and she says, what are they? Tell me. Can you repeat them? And so we went through them one by one and told her about the Ten Commandments. She was, wow, I've never heard that before. By the time we got to the train station and we hopped out, she was visibly moved. And we prayed with her there. She'd opened her heart up to the Lord and she said, you know, my grandmother is a Christian. And we encouraged her to start reading her Bible and we told her a couple of books that she should look up and get that would help her. And she said, when I tell my grandmother, she's going to be so happy. And off she went. And that was, that was it. Absolutely amazing. The farm connection. We didn't even go out of our way. She came to us. And I believe that when we pray to the Lord and say, Lord, use me in your service to reach souls through this powerful influence that you've given in my life, God will send people. God will give us influence. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him because the Lord is blessing us as we fully follow him, as we go out praising the Lord day by day. I have to end here. I wish I could share more. But I can't end without an appeal. I was blessed to attend Weimar College and as I took homiletics we were shared, we had shared with us a quote that said we should never as pastors share a message without an appeal. Hearts are moved, hearts are stirred as we preach the word of God and people must make decisions while their heart is tender and open to the Word of God. My appeal today is a three-part, maybe a four-part appeal. It's not an emotional appeal. It's an appeal to your heart and reason and your desire to fully follow the Lord Jesus. My first part of appeal is this. If you are willing to say, Lord, use me. I want to fully follow you. Now, this is for farmers. I'm not talking about anybody else. If you are in farming full-time or maybe part-time, but that's the primary thing that you do, and you want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to fully follow you and use this precious gift that you've given me to be absorbed in nothing else but giving the three angels messages, I make this commitment today that I will be a Caleb and fully follow you. Will you raise your hand and say, Lord, count me in. I will fully follow you. Praise God. The second group that I would like to appeal to is those that are involved in medical missionary work of some kind, some kind of healing ministry. You might be a doctor. You might be a nurse. You might be working at a lifestyle center, whatever it might be. You might work alone. But we have just scratched the surface. I, I haven't shared all the quotes with you, but 
there are many more that talk about this modality of healing using the garden. And she specifically says that when the patients go into the garden, that angels of God will surround them and it will make the work of doctors and nurses and helpers much easier to reach them for the Lord Jesus using the illustrations of nature and their hearts being moved to, to win them to the Lord. So my appeal for medical missionaries is, will you today say, Lord Jesus, I don't know how I'll do it. I know you'll show me, but I want to fully follow you and use this modality of healing to help people enter your kingdom. Can I see the hands of those in medical missionary work? Praise God. The next group that I want to appeal to are those who are involved in education. There are people here that may be homeschooling, and maybe you are already gardening as part of that homeschooling mode of teaching, way of teaching. There are people here, and I know, that are teaching in our schools, whether it be self-supporting or our conference schools. God has given us a powerful means of reaching the hearts of our young people. When I was in Michigan, we had, at the Mount Pleasant Church, we had a little garden that the Lord impressed me to put in there and to work with those, those students, because I read several quotes where she says that um, it would be well for ministers to spend a couple of hours a day with the students in the school garden. I didn't need another excuse. And so we started a little garden. And it was powerful. I could see the, the impact on those kids. And I, I can't tell you all the details, but it is really powerful. And the teacher came out and joined them too. It was wonderful to see what God was doing in these hearts. And, and there was revival going on in the church at the same time. And I believe it was a component that was part of it. So if you're involved in the educational work, whatever the facet is, I want to appeal to you. Will you ask the Lord to show you and help you to use this powerful tool that the Holy Spirit can make strong impressions on the hearts of your students, your young people, to win them for the kingdom? Will you say, Lord, count me in. I'm going to fully follow you, and I'm going to do what I can as a Caleb to implement this into the educational process. Praise God. My last appeal, there may be some here today, there may be someone who has never fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. You might not be in these categories that we've mentioned, but today your heart has been stirred by the Holy Spirit and you feel in your heart a desire to surrender everything to Jesus Christ. And you want to say, Lord, I'm going to let go of this or that or whatever I've been hanging on to that I have not wanted to and give my life fully to you and to do whatever your will is in my life. I just want to trust you. I'm going to believe in you. Will you raise your hand if there's anybody here? Praise God. A number of hands. Praise God. Is there anyone else? Praise God. We'll close with a word of prayer and ask that the Lord will go with us from this place. And as we go from this place... God will use us powerfully to impact his work in the area where we implement this council. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the beacon of light that has shined on us from heaven. We may have neglected, we may have been ignorant, but Lord, thank you that 
the testimonies still speak to us today. Thank you for giving us such a powerful means of reaching people and winning souls for your kingdom. Thank you that the enemy can be defeated in our lives and our children through fully following you and the methods that you've given us. Father, please help us. We've made decisions here today. Help us to implement them to the fullest extent that we possibly can as we fully follow you. Father, bless us through the rest of this conference. Bless the speakers who are going to speak to us day by day, both in seminars and in our plenary sessions. May this be a time of revival and reformation and a time where we can go back absolutely excited with what you're going to do with the tools you've put in our hands. For we ask it in our dear Savior, Jesus Christ's name. God bless you all. We'll see you tomorrow. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.